If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about jobs. We're talking about what does it look like to get a job in the board game industry? What can we learn from people that are currently in the industry who have set up publishing companies, who have become accountants and graphic designers and all of the many jobs that the industry requires? And we're talking to Joe Slack, creator of the Board Game Design course and also a writer or I guess editor of a book. Uh, that's coming out soon about how to get a job in the industry. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm Gabe. Yeah, glad to have you back. You've been on the show before, but this time we're talking about something a little bit kind of adjacent to board game design. It's basically how how to get into the industry, either as a designer or a freelancer or all. I mean, there's so many jobs. That's one thing I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that basically any job that you can think of is also in the board game industry, whether it has to do with marketing and accounting and like all the different things in business. Uh, there's so many ways to get into the industry beyond just becoming a publisher or becoming a designer. And you've been putting together a pretty interesting book that uh, I'm actually a contributor contributor to, a full disclosure there. You asked me to uh, contribute my my journey uh, and answer some questions as far as like how I got into this whole thing. And uh, yeah, it's a really interesting project. I just want to have you on the show and kind of talk through like what you're finding, what are some trends, what are some common ways for people to get into the industry? Because I know it's something a lot of people think about, they, they're curious about, they want to know. And uh, so I think your book and hopefully this podcast will also shed some light on how do you how do you do that? If you're just some person, you know, designing games somewhere, or how do you actually get into the industry like, as a job, as a full-time or at least part-time income. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? Just remind people in case they didn't hear that first uh, episode you were on. Tell us about yourself. Sure, of course. So I'm a game designer. I've been designing games for about seven years. And I also have uh, taught game design at uh, Laurier University. I've written, uh, this is going to be my fourth uh, book on game design now. And I run uh, a couple courses on my own site as well, the board game design course and the creation to publication program. I've got uh, uh, four games published so far as well, and uh, one game I've self-published that I had out on uh, Kickstarter last year. Very cool. And so let's talk about this project. Tell me about like the genesis, kind of where you had the idea uh, to write this book or or kind of put everything together, and then we can actually get into the, the details. For sure, yeah. So it was actually inspired by a talk that I saw at uh, Prototio, which is a convention that we have for game designers here in Toronto. I actually wasn't able to attend that year, but they recorded all the talks afterwards and, or and, uh, played them back afterwards. And uh, one of them was by Scott Gaita from uh, Renegade Games, uh, great guy. And uh, he knows so much about the industry. And he was talking about this topic. He was talking about all the other 
roles and positions in the board game industry. And I was just so fascinated by that because, you know, you always hear about everybody talking about, you know, game design or publishing and that type of thing, but there's so many other roles out there. And I kind of, I like the analogy of looking at like a rock band, for example, um, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, that lead singer, that charismatic lead singer that's, you know, upfront that everybody pays attention to, but you can't have a band without also having, you know, get a lead guitarist and your bass player and a drummer, maybe a rhythm guitarist, maybe keyboards and, and maybe, you know, you a horn section or something like that. And then everybody else is also contributing to the songwriting and all the other aspects to it, maybe some backup singing, that type of thing. So it really is a collaboration. And I really loved how he put together that talk. And he was talking about all these other roles like project manager and graphic designer and game developer and all these, you know, lesser known roles. And I thought it'd be really cool to look into them even deeper and write a whole book about it so that people that are thinking about, you know, I want to, you know, work in the, the board game industry. How do I go about doing that? So they can see beyond just the roles of designer and publisher, and they can see how they can use their own skills and their own experience and maybe find something that is a really, really good fit within the industry that they hadn't even thought of. So that was really the impetus for uh, coming up with this book. Very cool. And this is something I, I thought a lot about before I got into publishing and, and starting my own business. And it, it's just so difficult. It's so challenging to monetize creativity. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you're a musician, an artist, a writer, a movie maker, a game designer, it doesn't matter. It is almost impossible to turn that creativity into enough money to live off of, especially when you have a family and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's so valuable for people who, who listen to this show and are part of the game design community to realize that it is very, very difficult. But there are other ways into the industry where you can still be creative. You can still design and develop and do all the really cool, fun, creative aspects of the hobby. But at the same time, you can make money. You can actually have an, an income and have make a living and hopefully put food on the table for your kids. Uh, it doesn't just have to be you in your basement grinding out, you know, 25 published games a year, which is, I mean, it, you don't, you just don't make enough money off each individual game unless you have some kind of crazy hit and it goes on to sell a hundred thousand copies. That's different. But for the most part, people are only selling a handful of games, a few thousand games uh, anytime one gets published. That's just the, the nature of things. And it's very difficult to make a lot of money off that unless you're a machine like Scott Alms. I think the man is part robot because he puts out like 20 games a year. Most of us don't have that ability or time or, or whatever crazy robot system he's come up with. And so I think it's really important for people to realize there are other ways into the industry, and it might be in the the loading dock of just getting games you know, shipped out for a company that has a lot of orders, and you're in there just putting games in boxes. There are several people in the industry as designers now who have amazing games on the market who started off in the loading dock, started off in the, the facility that just shipped games, and then they were designing on the side, and then they had an opportunity to pitch a game or two to the people in charge, and they're like, oh, this is really cool, and then it turned into something different. There's so many ways as far as volunteering. I want to get into that and your thoughts which you've learned as far as like ways to volunteer and how that can get you in the, into the industry. But I guess the big picture is it is very difficult to turn creativity into money. And so let's look at maybe some other ways that you can actually earn a living doing, and then also do something that you really enjoy. And so what were some of the common trends that you saw? Well, first of all, how many people uh, contributed to the book? And then let's get into like, what were some of the trends you saw across that number of people? Sure. So I reached out to quite a few people and I heard back from about 40 
uh, different people in the industry. And I did some other research beyond that as well. So I'd make sure that I had uh, a lot of things covered. So I read a lot of other blogs, listened to other interviews, looked at other websites so I could get really the full spectrum of everything. Uh, but yeah, in total, I have, you know, contributions from over 40 people here, everybody from uh, publishers to reviewers to rule book editors, uh, to teachers, to content creators uh, like yourself. And yeah, there were definitely a lot of common uh, things that I saw throughout this. And a lot of them said the same thing that you're doing, that you, you were talking about rather, uh, which is it's, it's hard to make a living um, in the game design industry uh, or in the board game industry. Uh, particularly if you're a game designer, if, if, you're, if you're putting out games, there's a long gap between the time a game is signed and it actually comes out. So even if it does become a hit, you know, it could be years before you even see any royalties and that type of thing. So it's really hard to make a living um, unless, you know, you have a very supportive partner, for example, um, or a lot of savings, that type of thing, or live extremely frugally uh, to be able to even make a living and, and get through at least those first few rough years before you get a little bit of traction. And even then, if you don't have an evergreen hit or you're not putting out, you know, 20 games a year, it can be quite hard. So uh, I definitely saw a lot of trends uh, between uh, a lot of people in different areas of the industry. And one of those big things that I really saw was the importance of making connections, uh, making networks uh, with other people in the industry and getting to be known. So even if you know, you're not really well known, you don't know anybody in the industry, you've got to start somewhere. And a lot of these people didn't have all these connections and everything until they you know, started going to conventions, um, demoing for a publisher at a booth, um, volunteering to read over the rules or do some play testing for, for a publisher. Uh, there's all these different ways that you can kind of get your foot in the door and get known by somebody. And quite often, you know, these positions that come up are not really, you know, well advertised or, you know, there's not really, you know, the common way you'd go about, you know, getting a job and that kind of thing. A lot of it is who you know and, and what they know about you. And if you've already done something for a publisher, like demoed for them, done some uh, rule book updates or editing, that kind of thing, they already know you, they know your work style, they know you can deliver and, and uh, you know, put out the results and that kind of thing. You're much more likely to have them come to you uh, with an offer when something opens up for them, when, you know, they, they decide, you know, we're growing right now, we need somebody to help us with marketing or we need to help, so help with uh, game development or taking submissions and that kind of thing, they're way more likely to look at, you know, a known quantity, you know, somebody that they've already worked with and they know their work style and they know that they're really good than taking a chance with, you know, somebody they don't know at all. Yeah. And I think this is just something to be aware of in general. If you're going to do a job search or you want to get into any career, any job, any industry, it honestly just comes down to who you know, no matter what the industry is. I've had lots of different jobs in lots of different sectors. I've worked for churches and ministries. I've worked for nonprofits. I've worked for a school. I've worked now in the gaming industry and doing different things there. There's not been a single job, a single opportunity that I have ever gotten that I did not know someone that helped get me in the door in some way. Now, it might have been someone that wasn't like super high up in leadership, but it was still someone that they knew that could vouch for me or it was the person that was doing the hiring that they knew me from prior experience or because I volunteered somewhere or something like that. And so that's just the case in any, any industry, but especially in the, the gaming industry. And so it really does come down to who you know. Now, that could be a challenge in a lot of ways, especially if 
you know, you're a person that struggles with getting to know people and networking and, and you're not super extroverted. But at the same time, because of the internet, because of Facebook communities, because of so many different ways to interact now, it's a little bit easier than maybe it used to be to become known, to become somebody who's creating content or is contributing uh, in different ways online. And so I feel like there's, there's a way, no matter who you are or what kind of personality you have or whatever, that you can contribute, you can become known in some way to network, get to know people, befriend people, contribute, uh, add you know your opinion in here and there to let people know that you are someone who is respectable and trustworthy and has a work ethic, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, networking is just so vital. And so let's talk about that. What are some of the ways that you found in the book or, or different contributors uh, networked to get into the industry, whether it was volunteering at conventions or, or whatever? What were some of those kind of inroads that people used to become known by the people that were already on the inside? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I've mentioned some of them already, but a lot of people um, either said that they got in through or recommended getting in through demoing for publishers at a convention. And, you know, right now, you know, maybe not the easiest thing to do because conventions aren't happening, but there are a lot of things happening online where publishers are still trying to promote their games, still trying to demo their games. So like you said, if you're not, you know, as extroverted and, and you know, you know, don't aren't as comfortable connecting with people um, at big events and things like that, this might be a little bit easier for you now uh, because there's more opportunities to do these kind of things online. So definitely doing things like uh, demoing for uh, publishers at a convention is really, really helpful and, and gets you known there. Um, if they have a game coming out and uh, you're able to offer any help with development um, at all uh, through just even playtesting and giving good feedback, I heard a lot of stories of people who uh, Peter Hayward, for example, who runs Jelly Bean Games, he gets a lot of dev work just because he is a really good play tester. He will sit down and play a publisher's game or any other creator's game and give really thoughtful, helpful feedback. And in turn, they see that and they say, wow, okay, this, this, this person really knows what they're talking about. And, you know, that might lead to them saying, you know, I've got this other game and, you know, it's coming out soon, but it needs just a little bit of dev work. Would you be interested in that? And, you know, those types of you know, helping out a publisher can really lead to, you know, bigger opportunities. And then, you know, that publisher talks to another publisher, like it's such a small industry that it's very easy for you to get known once you get known for doing one thing really well. So that's one thing to really think about is think about that one thing you can do really well. But I mean, there's also other opportunities with um, rulebook editing. I mean, every rulebook needs editing and every rulebook can be made better practically. So if you're good with words and layout and format and examples and things like that, and can just give that feedback to a publisher or another creator, somebody out there is looking to put their game out and give them some, you know, helpful advice and, and hints and things like that. And they'll see that, you know, you can, you can do that really well um, as well. Um, just, you know, going, going places where the people you want to work with are. So going, going to them and talking to the publishers, um, you know, seeing, you know, if, if they have any struggles right now and trying to figure out how you can use your own expertise and your own skills to help them in your own way. Maybe you're really good with, with numbers or with sales or marketing or something like that. That's one of, one of the hugest gaps that a lot of people talked about was marketing because there's so many people that can create an amazing, amazing game, but they may have no idea how to market it. And they won't be able to sell any copies at all if they don't have a really good structure and strategy for getting out there on social media and that kind of thing. So if you're really good with things related to social media, 
you could volunteer and help a publisher or a smaller creator, you know, build up their following um, through social media and that kind of thing. Um, there's just so many little opportunities to think about ways that you can help um, other publishers in the ways that they're really, um, you know, lacking. Yeah, absolutely. Those are excellent points. And I think reciprocity is something just to be fully aware of when you help someone in some way and you do a good job and you really kind of help them fill a need or overcome some obstacle or something like that. People really want to return the favor. Like there's been so many instances where someone has helped me either edit a rule book or help me put a game on tabletop simulator or, or whatever. So many different things. And then when they had an opportunity or they had a project come along, I want to be right there to say, hey, how can I help you? Can I give you some free advertising space in, in the Board Game Design Lab community? Can I uh, contribute some way? Can I get the word out about your game or your Kickstarter project or something like that? Like, I want to pay it back, right? Thank you for helping me. Now I want to help you. And that goes a long way. And so honestly, you might have to do some things for free at first, especially if you're just getting started. Like, for instance, I had a, a couple of people reach out to me on one of my hunted games that, that they wanted to get into rule book editing and rule book writing, wanted to kind of start a little freelance business. And so these couple guys, they reached out to me and they said, Hey, can we do a couple free passes of editing your rule book and kind of give you some comments and some feedback and let you know different things that need to be cleared up and things like that. And then if we do that, would you put our names in the credits of the rule book? And then this could be something that we could point to when someone says, well, can you show me your work? or show me some projects you've worked on, we can then list your game as something we've done. And then maybe if we do a really good job, you can give us a testimonial or you can kind of help us get some work down the road. And so they were laying the groundwork. They were laying the infrastructure to be able to start getting paid later, but understanding that it's hard to get paid for something when you don't have any examples. If you don't have a portfolio and you're an artist or illustrator, graphic designer, it's hard for people to go, oh yeah, please, please work on my game. Here's a bunch of money. I have no idea what you can do, but I'm just going to hope for the best. Like that's probably not going to happen, especially with the limited resources that publishing companies have. And so you might have to get in on the ground floor, plant some seeds, water them, and then let them grow and then get some really good testimonials because you're doing good work. You're doing things on time. You know, you're, you're showing that you can be trusted and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Drew Corkle, a very good friend of mine who's worked on I mean, pretty much every project I've done in the last five years, who I know has also worked uh, with you, Joe, has done the covers for your books and they look great. You know, he reached out to me a few years ago and said, hey, man, I'm part of the BGDL community. Really appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, I'm a graphic designer. I'd like to kind of get in and do a little side hustle kind of thing with uh, graphic design and board games. And do you have any prototypes that, that I could just do some graphic design work just to make them look good and just as a way to say thank you and, and that kind of thing? And I was like, yeah, man. And so I didn't have any hope for this. Like, this is just some random person on the internet who reached out to me and said, hey, I'm a graphic designer. And I asked, I was like, hey, well, can I see like your portfolio and everything? And the stuff was pretty good. And so, yeah, I was working on this goofy like fighting game at the time that turned into nothing, unfortunately. But I sent it to him. I said, hey, can you make like some card layouts or interfaces, you know, just for a few of these cards? And the work he sent back was phenomenal. And I immediately was like, okay, I need to hire this guy and get him on some actual paid gigs with some 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 real stuff. And and it, all because he reached out to me and said, hey, can I do some free work? And that has turned into him working on a bunch of paid projects for me and for other people because I've been able to recommend him to other folks like yourself. And so I, I think that's just something else to realize is, you know, you're not going to come in and be able to, to, to demand, uh, you know, thousands of dollars to do whatever your freelance job is. Like you might have to come in in humble beginnings, humble means, and then kind of build it up from there. Do you have any stories from the book of people doing that kind of thing as well to kind of reinforce what I'm talking about? Oh, so many of them. Almost, almost, you know, probably half of the people that I spoke to started off in, in that kind of way where they, you know, had to do some stuff for free, reached out to somebody or, or did, you know, lower paid work than they would, you know, be getting now. 
just to build up that portfolio. That was a huge part of it was, you know, we need to get, you know, five or 10 projects under our belt. And, you know, we're willing to work on it for a little less than, you know, maybe we're worth just to get that portfolio and, and to talk to other publishers and to talk to other creators to get more work. Um, yeah, I have a, a bunch of great examples from there. And a lot of them were people, you know, who reached out to me. So one that you mentioned, uh, Drew Corkill, uh, he, you know, I, I heard you talk about him so favorably and saw the work that, you know, he did for you. And so I reached out to him. Uh, knowing that he had worked on your books as well and the formatting for those. And I reached out to him and said, you know, I've, I've heard great things about you. I like the work that you've done as well. Uh, would you be interested in working on on my book? And he said, great, yeah, for sure. And he formatted that book. He came up with a great book cover and I've hired him again and again since. So he's working on this one as well. So three book covers and all the formatting and all that. And I would great, uh, you know, gladly hire him again and, and uh, let other people know about him. But, you know, there's been other instances too. Uh, people who reached out to me as well. Uh, Mitch Morris, for example, he's a, a graphic designer by trade, but he works more in the travel and tourism industry. And of course, right now, that's not, you know, really booming so much. So um, I had sent out an email to, uh, to my followers uh, talking about, you know, a new course that I was going to be uh, relaunch or a course I was going to be relaunching rather the creation to publication program. And I presented it to them and asked, you know, what other things would you like to see in the course? Do you have any questions, that kind of thing? And he came at it from a different perspective. He said, well, you know, I already knew that he was a graphic designer. And he said, you know, I actually, you know, the, the course and the content, everything looks great, but the way you're presenting it, I think it could be a little bit better. Let me give you some suggestions. He actually came up with, you know, a, a logo and uh, redesigned a part of the portion of the page to say like, oh, I think if you use a different color scheme here, this would look really cool. And he gave me some examples. He said, you can go ahead and use these for free. And I was like, holy cow, I was I was super impressed with what he did, but also that he, he like put some time and effort into doing this just to say, here, you can use this for free. Like, I don't need anything in return. So, you know, I immediately looked at that and said, wow, that looks a lot better than what I put together because I'm no graphic designer. And I reached out to him. I said, how would you like to redesign the page? Uh, why don't you give me a quote? Let me know what, what you want for it. And uh, we came to an arrangement. It was very reasonable. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do more stuff in the board game industry. That's something that's more interesting to me because I want to be a game designer as well. And uh, yeah, so we came to an arrangement and he redesigned that page and it was fantastic. And I'm going to definitely be reaching out to him again, you know, the, the next time I need something done on my website. Um, another example was um, a gentleman named Christo Daniel. He was a backer for my game Relics of Rajvahara, and one of my stretch goals was custom meeples for the game. And I had an idea for what I wanted them to look like, and I got a picture from some meeples from uh, Escape Curse of the Temple, kind of that Indiana Jones kind of vibe with the hat and everything. And I said, you know, this is what I was looking for for, uh, you know, the custom meeples that I was going to go to next. And uh, he actually wrote back, he made a comment on the page. He said, oh, actually, I mocked up a couple things that I thought might be kind of cool. Have a look at them, see if you're interested. You can use them if you want. And I looked at them and they were so much better than you know anything else I could do myself or even better and more unique than the ones from Escape. And I said, wow, these are really cool. And I asked him, you know, can I can I use this? Can I compensate you? He said, no, no, just take them. Uh, they're absolutely free. Uh, you know, I think this would work well with the game and, and you wanted to help support um, the project. So I went up using those and then now, as I'm working on the expansion for it, I had some ideas for some new aspects that I wanted to add in the game. And immediately, who did I think of when I said, you know, I need some, you know, custom custom pieces? I went to him, and uh, he he actually would not take any money for it. So I said, well, you know, you're at least getting copies of the expansion. Um, but you know, another you know great example there of somebody just reaching out just because you know he's he's a fan, 
and he wanted to uh, do something to contribute, to give something back, to make the game even better. And he w wasn't even looking for anything in return. And, you know, I'm going to definitely recommend him anytime. And, you know, there's other examples too of like, you know, Jeff Frazier, who's a fantastic rule book editor. Um, he started off, you know, charging less than he was worth just to get some, you know, uh, some work, uh, some, some companies that he had worked with in his portfolio. And, you know, he's, he's just growing his business so much. He has to turn people away. Like he can choose which projects he wants to work on. Um, and one more example finally is, uh, Quanchai, uh, Maria is a fantastic artist. He, he talked about how he went to, um, a lot of different conventions to try to get people's attention and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he was doing fan art, uh, originally for, for, for games. He just saw like game boxes, cards and things like that. And he just started posting on board game geek, this fan art that he created. And then publishers like, uh, Ezra games who makes the, the catacombs games, uh, you know, they, you know, they started reaching out to him and uh, he started getting work that way. And then he started going to conventions and, you know, meeting more and more publishers and, you know, it's become, you know, something he can get uh, a ton of work at. So there's, you know, so many examples of, of people that I talked to, uh, those kind of similar experiences of just helping being, being a helpful person first, and then that leading to, you know, many more things uh, down the line. Very cool. I do want to put one quick caveat on this. It is very different for a freelancer to reach out to you and say, hey, I'd like to offer you some free work or some reduced rate work. I'm trying to build my portfolio. That is very different from you as a creator, a Kickstarter creator or a publisher or whatever, reaching out to them and saying, hey, I want you to work for free. That is very different. Don't do that second one. That's garbage. People are worth the time that they put into it. Uh, and, and so if you see a way to make money working with an artist or an illustrator, don't reach out to them and say, hey, this would be great for your portfolio. No, 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 no pay them. <laughs> but that's very different than someone reaching out to you and saying, hey, uh, I love your game. I want to do some cool stuff with it. I'd love to edit the rule book, trying to build up a, a rule book service, whatever. Those two things are very, very different. So I do want to put in that caveat. Uh, and to your last point there, conventions. That is one thing I found to be very, very helpful uh, is when you see an artist at a convention. So the artist I, uh, I hired to do all my hunted games, I met him at a video game convention. He was just there, had a little booth, uh, was selling prints and had some really amazing art that was kind of based on video games and anime and different things. And I got his card and I was talking to him about, hey, have you ever done any work in the gaming, board game industry? And, and he had done like a card game back in the day. And so he had a little bit of familiarity. And so we just chatted, but I would have never known him. I would have never ran run across his portfolio online, his, his website. I would have never seen him had he not had a little bitty booth at this video game convention and we hadn't crossed paths. And so I think you, sometimes you just got to put yourself out there uh, and you might fail and you might show up and you might send emails that never get responded to. But at the same time, you're not going to get anything if you don't do anything. And so uh, just putting yourself out there and, and hoping for the best, reaching out to people and, and kind of seeing what comes back. Now, what else as far as networking uh, did you find? You mentioned demoing at conventions. Uh, any Anything else as far as like ways to kind of get in on the bottom rung or the ground floor and then kind of work your way up into the industry? For sure. Yeah. And, and you hit on a really good point there is putting yourself out there. And, and a lot of this comes down to people have to know who you are and what you do. So if you are a graphic designer, for example, um, I saw lots of examples of people who would, you know, redesign cards, uh, redesign or create a reference card or a reference sheet or a cheat sheet or something like that for a game and just, you know, post it on Board Game Geek. Maybe, you know, uh, present that to the publisher, that kind of thing. 
um, a lot of other people who were artists and, and you know, sculptors and that type of thing, you know, showing off their work. I mean, nobody's going to know what you what you do or what you're capable of unless you show that off. And sometimes it's, you know, fan art of something that already exists out there. Sometimes it's your own creations, um, editing, um, reaching out and, you know, finding uh, something you can edit or writing some backstories for for a game or something like that. Just, you know, finding a project or a publisher or creator or somebody at, who you love what they do and reaching out and, and saying, I want to I want to contribute. I want to uh, provide something that's going to make what you do even better, something that's even more amazing. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is just putting yourself out there. And it, it's, the same thing goes for game design, too. I mean, you can't design in a bubble, uh, you know, design in your head or just on your own coffee table. You have to get it out there in front of a lot of other people, get other people's perspectives and feedback and make your game better. And, you know, that's also how you're going to draw in fans. If you're planning on doing, you know, crowdfunding or in a Kickstarter, um, you know, you have to put it out there for people to know. So that's a lot of it is just uh, being out there in front of other people, not being afraid to to talk to people, um, you know, find it, find out what their needs are. And, and, you know, another big one is just look where the gaps are. Um, look where there are opportunities to fill in something that people need, like the role of project manager, for example. If you maybe in your day job right now do a lot of project management and that type of thing, and you know you could approach you know a, a medium or larger company and see if you know they have um, you know need some help in that way because you know managing you know kickstarters and and release schedules and all this it's it's a lot a lot of work and sometimes they need somebody who really has that experience who can you know deliver results deliver things on time on budget and you know make an impact and that kind of thing or if you know if you know the marketing side of that type of thing you can reach out and help people you know grow their following and that kind of thing help somebody you know update something on their web page or show them something cool that you know how to do on social media that you've seen to be effective just you know reach out and, and just offer a little bit of help those little things like you said reciprocity is huge i mean if you help somebody you know boost their following on instagram or facebook or give them a little tip to you know add more people to their email list they're going to come back to you and say well what else do you know like can i can i work with you a little bit further that kind of thing a lot of it is just you know, putting out good content or helping somebody in a small way, and that will just pay such dividends later on. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing going back to game design is designing expansions. I mean, the rise of Fenris and several other uh, expansions or, or games that Jamie Stegmaier at Stonemaier Games has published started off as fan games based on different things or expansion, whatever. And then he was like, oh man, this is really cool. Let's, let's do some development work. Let's add a little bit here. Let's take a bit, a little bit away and I will sign this as a game. And so that's another thing that you might be able to do now. It's not super common, but at the same time you're taking design and turning it into a paycheck. And so that's something else to, uh, to be aware of. Uh, but then also like you're saying, uh, doing good work for people. And then the word travels. So word of mouth is so incredibly important. I know personally, I love helping other people get paid. And so there's been so many people who have worked for me in different capacities that then they have an opportunity to work for somebody else or someone sends me an email and says, Hey, can you tell me about this person? And it's like, Oh man, let me, let me tell you about this person. They did a phenomenal job for me. You won't regret it. So I love doing that. I had a great inter 
kind of an interview for or on behalf of somebody else the other day, uh, Sarah Perry, who's been a phenomenal help to me in logistics and shipping and fulfillment, had some people reach out and say, hey, uh, we're thinking about hiring her. Can you give like a recommendation or anything? And it's like, oh, let me let me tell you, this this woman has helped me so much. And, and so hopefully they're going to you know hire her or, or something like that. And so I think that's another thing is, is word of mouth is so important. Doing a good job, word travels. Uh, also doing a bad job, word travels. And so just being aware of that and, and doing the best you can whenever you get those opportunities. But let's talk a little bit about full-time versus freelance. I feel like most jobs in the industry are, are on the freelance you know, as needed basis. Most publishing companies don't have more than one to three, maybe five people working for them. And they're all wearing like 17 different hats and doing a whole bunch of different things. So tell me what you found in your research as far as freelance versus full-time. Sure. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, most of the jobs out there you're going to find are going to be freelance. There's not a ton of opportunities uh, to work for a publisher, for example, on a full-time basis. There, there definitely are some opportunities, but again, a lot of it's going to come down to, uh, you know, knowing the right people and being there at the right moment at the right time uh, for that position. And sometimes it's through, you know, networking, helping them out. And then when that position comes up, you know, you can jump into that role. But yeah, I definitely did see a lot more opportunities on the freelance side. Uh, for example, uh, the role of game designer or game developer, a very unlikely you're going to get hired by a company unless you know you're looking at one of the big companies like you know funko or hasbro or you know one of the other really really big ones a lot of the times like you said it's a very small operation a publisher might be you know a one man or one woman show um, it could be you know between two to five employees and a lot of the publishers that have started off it started off as you know one or two people that you know know each other maybe you know friends colleagues that type of thing decided to you know, open and run a business, uh, decided to become a publisher in the game design world. And so they kind of take on all those roles themselves, um, even though, you know, they might be stretched very thin, you know, they are managing projects and directing art and, and running, you know, logistics and figuring out all, all the aspects, customer service, everything uh, from start to finish. And until they kind of get to the point where they're big enough, they've grown enough, they have enough revenue and they just can't do it all themselves anymore, they're probably not going to be hiring. So your better bet is usually on the freelance side. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of roles that are needed out there um, that aren't being fulfilled quite as well as, as they could possibly be. Um, the role of game developer, for example. Um, you know, there's a distinction between game designer and game developer, and a lot of publishers don't have one in-house. Some will, um, but a lot of them will hire that out, um, as well as roles like marketing, for example. Uh, publishers won't necessarily have enough work, have enough projects in that to hire somebody to do marketing full-time, but they might hire, you know, a marketing firm, a marketing consultant, that type of thing. Uh, rule book editing, they're probably not going to have somebody on, on full-time, but they will hire, you know, a contractor, a freelancer, that type of thing. Uh, so there are opportunities out there. And if you can get a good reputation by building up that portfolio, like we said, and that word of mouth advertising, you can string together a number of these together. So for example, um, Dustin Schwartz, who does rule book editing, uh, I looked at you know his portfolio and he's worked with so many uh, different publishers and you can see you know that repeat work. Um, I think it was something like eight different, eight or 10 different publishers that he'd worked on at least eight games for each. And I think Renegade, he worked on like 43 games for. So it's like a ridiculous amount. Uh, but you can see that if you do a good job for somebody, they're going to hire you on again and again, and they're going to let other people know about you. So if you put enough of those 
jobs to uh, you know individual jobs and contracts together you can make this a full-time thing whether you're doing that or graphic design or game development or marketing that type of thing if you can get enough clients you could potentially uh, pull that all together and be able to do this full-time but if you are working um, more of a full-time basis with a publisher even though you might have one specific role that you are brought into it's most likely you're going to have to do a whole bunch of different things. So you might've been brought in to do one thing, uh, maybe for game development, but you're also probably going to be responsible for a lot of other things like helping out at the convention booth, uh, maybe helping out with some things to do with uh, sales or marketing, um, evaluating and scouting out new prototypes and evaluating them and doing play testing of, of those games, that kind of thing. So you're quite often going to have to do a whole bunch of different things and take on a whole bunch of different roles if you are going to get into that. But generally what I did see was your chances are a lot higher if you're doing something on the freelance basis. Right. And the whole return client thing is so important to realize. I know personally speaking, I am super loyal to people who do a great job. I will wait. Like if they're busy, I will wait until they're not busy so I can work with them again. Like I'll push back my schedule. I'll push back my timelines. Just be able to work with that person that I already know. We already have a familiarity. We already kind of understand. Like when you say this, I understand what you mean. When I say that, you understand what I mean. Like I don't have to go into all the, no, 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 that's not, no, no. Like we already know each other. You know, we've already been dating for a while. Like we don't have to go through the awkward like first date stage. We're just trying to figure things out. And so I think that's another thing to think about it is as a freelancer, if you do a really good job for people, they're going to do more games more than likely. Very few people are one and done when it comes to publishing a game. Most people, they want to do more. And so, yeah, if you do an excellent job, they'll find a way to work with you again. And so I think that's something you can kind of build up that client base, that foundation, and, and just go from there. Uh, and, and people will keep coming back for more. Now, when it comes to skill sets that apply to lots of different things, I, I think that's one thing for people to realize, like the board game industry is an industry. And just like any industry, it needs lots of things that are really specific uh, to business in general, not just specific to board games. Uh, and so what are some of those things, those skill sets that could really help someone uh, come in? You mentioned marketing, you mentioned different things, anything else that maybe you hadn't talked about yet that could translate that maybe I've got a degree in, or maybe I've got some other experience in a totally different part of uh, a different industry, a different sector that translates over in a really cool way or a really necessary way into board games. For sure. So in terms of education, unless you had a really specified uh, role like a graphic designer or something like that, where you really need to know the basics, education didn't really kick in in most of the positions. I mean, there are some that, you know, if you have more business skills and project management skills related to education, uh, it would be beneficial. But in a lot of the cases, it really did come down to experience and your skills. So what you're really, really good at or what you can, what you can really, um, you know, drive home and, and, and do well at the end of the day. So some of the key skills that I saw across a lot of these different roles uh, were, you know, being able to be a good communicator. That's that's huge, you know, being able to, to listen, uh, hear other people and communicate well so that, you know, you can deliver what's needed, um, communicate what you, what you need from them, that type of thing. Um, interpersonal skills related to that, uh, being, you know, a good person to work with, uh, having a, a good work ethic, not being afraid to work hard, um, to innovate, to learn new things, because you're always going to be learning new things. You're always going to be put into different roles where you're going to have to learn to do something differently, uh, work with somebody who, you know, maybe works in a different style, that type of thing. Um, problem solving is huge. Uh, we know that in game design, you know, it's all about solving problems over and over and usually introducing new ones that we have to continually uh, solve as well. 
Uh, but that's a huge part of it as well. No matter where you're working in the industry, you got to be able to solve problems, whether you're, you know, in the shipping side, um, if you're on the marketing side, whatever the case may be, problem solving is a huge, huge aspect of that. Um, and then besides that, um, just being really well organized um, can be really helpful, detail oriented. So you can, you know, see um, everything that's going into a game, making sure, you know, you know, that rule book has everything exactly the way you want, everything's hitting schedules, uh, your costs are, are accurate, that type of thing. Like those are some of the main skills that I saw um, right across the board, wherever you are in the industry that are super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing I want to talk about briefly, and I don't, I'm curious if anyone talked about this in your research and in the interviews that you did, is understanding that the board gaming industry, like I said before, it is an industry. And a job is a job. And what I mean by that is there is no such thing as a dream job. There is no perfect job. I feel like a lot of times we, we have like these rose colored glasses when we look at certain things. We go, oh, if I could just do that job, then I would be happy because it would be so great and it would be perfect. Well, maybe, but more than likely uh, that job has a lot of crap you have to deal with just like every other job. And it has all the things that go along with taxes and, and just crappy stuff because it's a job. Like there's no perfect job. There is no dream job unless you're asleep. And so I think it's also important to not put uh, working in the gaming industry necessarily up on this pedestal because it's going to be a letdown. There's so many things that I had the rose colored glasses on about when I got into publishing that then once I started doing it, I was like, man, part of this job sucks. Like this is just terrible. I hate certain aspects of this and let me find a way to hire somebody to do these things that I can't stand. Like that's part of it because it's a job. And so did you, did anyone, anybody talk about that in the interviews as maybe a warning or maybe some things to think about so that people don't have this kind of false understanding or false idea, false dream of what getting into the industry is actually like? Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people talked about that and I asked them about, you know, what were the, you know, the benefits that they saw, but what were also some of the unexpected things in their role? And a lot of them uh, touched on exactly what you were saying there. The, you know, the day-to-day minutia of you know running a publishing company all the you know the millions of different decisions that they have to make in a day and what a lot of people may think is you know i'm, I'm going to be working in the board game industry or i'm going to be a publisher so what i'm going to i'm going to get to play games all day i'm going to you know have you know be able to you know work on games you know all the time and it really isn't like that at all uh, once you're actually working in the industry most of your time is focused on other things, you know, getting the games out the door, working on customer service, all the different aspects of publishing, for example. And, you know, very, very little time is actually spent, you know, on, you know, the design of games, the development of games in comparison to a lot of other things. And I spoke to some, some people as well, asking the specific question, you know, are you still able to, in your role, design games, or is it like a conflict of interest with the publisher you're working with? Or um, are you, do you still do that? And a lot of them said, you know what? I thought coming into the industry, I would have you know a lot more time to play games and design games. But you know, I'm, I, at the end of the day, I'm done. Like I've been working on other people's games. I've been working on all these other things. I just don't have the energy to you know break out you know a game design that I've been working on and play it anymore. Um, you know, because I you know it's kind of like uh, somebody who's a, a cook or a chef. Uh, during the day, and then they come home and have to make dinner. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, a little more tiring, a little a little harder to do because it's you know not just their creative output. They they've been doing this all day long, um, or other aspects of of working on it. And then some people that I spoke to, they said that they're not actually 
allowed to work on their own independent games because they're working for a publisher now. Because maybe they are a, um, a production assistant or they are a game developer for that publisher. And every publisher is going to be a little bit different. But some will have a rule that says you're allowed to work on games, but they have the first right of refusal, for example. So if that's a game that they like and want to publish, they get the first crack at it. But if they if it's not of interest to them, if it doesn't fit their audience, they can pass on it and you can you know pitch it to other publishers. Whereas other publishers, for example, would say, no, everything you do has to be here. You're not allowed to work independently on your games anymore. So that's another thing you have to think about if you're going to work for a publisher specifically is you want to have that conversation before you get into the role and then find out, you know, oh, you're not allowed to work on games anymore. No, you have to work on, you know, project management for these games, that type of thing. And you have to be okay with that going in. So it's really good to have that conversation up front to see what the expectations are and whether you're allowed to continue with those creative endeavors or if everything belongs to the company now that you're part of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think right alongside that point is to understand that when you're negotiating a contract or you're talking about expectations, again, a job is a job. And just like any other job, there's all these things that you need to be sure you understand on the front end that, you know, don't feel like you have to just take the contract right out right out the gate. I mean, feel free to negotiate and say, well, no, I need a little bit more here. I need a percentage there, whatever it is, because this is a job like any other job. It's an industry just like any other industry. And yeah, it's about games. And the point of this is to create really fun experiences for people, but it's still business. And to just understand that and speaking from personal experience, when you get into publishing, there's so much you have to do. That's not super fun. And like, for instance, right now, I spend so much of my day doing customer service, sending emails, responding to Kickstarter messages, all these things, because I I run several campaigns at this point, uh, thousands upon thousands of backers, which creates a lot of issues. Hey, my game didn't show up. Hey, I didn't receive a tracking number. Can you send me that? Hey, this came in damaged. Hey, this didn't come in at all. Like so many things a day. And then you have to do a fresh, like really frustrating people. I had somebody recently who reached out to me. Uh, I sent them uh, a game as part of a Kickstarter. And apparently they had moved and they did not update their address in the pledge manager. And so the, the game got there and then was returned to sender. And then so they demanded... I either send them a replacement for free or refund their money. It's like, well, well, this isn't, this wasn't my fault. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, but this person was very adamant. You're either going to send me a refund or send me a report. It's like, okay. And you're just going to deal with frustrating stuff like that. You might not have anything to do with, but people are going to blame you <laughs> because that's just the way things go. And you're going to deal with that. And so there's a million of those types of things because a job is a job and industry is an industry. And so just kind of have your eyes wide open going in. I think another thing is is uh, to talk to people who are doing it already. So if you want to get into rulebook writing or freelance graphic design or illustration, whatever, talk to some people who are already doing it. Find out the pitfalls, find out the pros and cons. Just interview some people and just ask them some basic questions. Even if you have to hire them, like say, hey, can I buy an hour of your time? Can I give you 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, for an hour of your time to chat about this? Because I'm trying to build up uh, an infrastructure. I'm trying to build up uh, the freelance business, whatever, and do some, you know, ask for them for some consulting and just learn from, the, like sit at their feet and learn from their knowledge, like gain their wisdom. I think there's a lot of value in that as well. Most people, a lot of people do that for free, but I'm telling you, pay, pay them for it. It's worth their time. It's worth your uh, money to, to do it that way. Uh, anything else, Joe, anything we haven't covered that you found to be really interesting or really insightful or just really cool uh, as far as your research and talking to various people? Yeah. One of the things that I really wanted to highlight was that there are a lot of other uh, jobs and in, in uh, related adjacent industries and professions uh, that people might want to consider as well that I that I cover a lot in the book as well. So 
you know, we think about publishers and we think about game designers, maybe developers and that type of thing. Uh, but there's so many different aspects of getting a game uh, from, you know, taking it from an idea to getting it into somebody's hands. And I mean, there's, there's so many different uh, positions that, that fall in between there. There's, you know, the manufacturing of the game um, and, you know, the sales around that and being a manufacturer. There's the shipping and fulfillment. There's distribution. There's retail. There's board game cafes. Uh, there's reviewers, people who are, uh, you know, reviewing the games and doing previews and unboxings. Uh, other content creators uh, like ourselves, um, and and others who, you know, do blogs and and videos and podcasts and that type of thing. There's, you know, there's so many in between things that a lot of people don't think about. And you know, one one story that's really great was um, AJ Brandon, who works at uh, Board Game Bliss, a local. Uh, game store here in Toronto and you know he started off as a storefront manager there and he's gotten a lot of notoriety as somebody who really knows games and knows product design and that type of thing now he does consulting for um, for publishers who are looking for uh, you know the way to to best put out a box to how it's best going to look on the shelf and that type of thing just because he's had that experience and he's opening up op other opportunities just by getting his foot in the door working in a board game store for example and then there's all these other adjacent professions. And I talk to people who are doing things outside of the industry, but things that are related to the industry. So they're bringing you know, their passion and their skills and combining it with the things they love. Uh, for example, um, Chris Cormier, who runs Geeky Goodies, um, he creates t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and stickers and all these things with meeples and all sorts of cool designs because he has a graphic designer background and he wanted to work on projects that were relevant to him that he wanted to combine his two loves graphic design and board games together so he runs geeky goodies um another another person uh who's really awesome is uh katja howitson and she created this board game art calendar uh that was up on kickstarter last year she took all these little components you know meeples and pawns and and all these different you know wooden and, and plastic components and that type of thing and made these really cool art pieces for existing games um, just out of these pieces and photographed them. She took hours and hours to set these all up and photograph them and came up with, you know, this Kickstarter and ran it as, you know, a calendar, a different cool board game creation every month. Um, there's, you know, people that run board gaming conventions and that type of thing. There's just, I, I just want to open up people's eyes because when you think about board games, it's just like any other industry. When something comes along, there's other adjacent industries and other gaps that need to be filled. I mean, you look at other examples, like simple example, like a cell phone, for example, cell phone comes out. Well, you know, people are buying cell phones, but then, you know, what, what else do we use with cell phones? We have apps. So there's people that need to develop apps, uh, people who come up with cases for them, people who come up with chargers and all sorts of different things. So anything that comes out, there's always going to be something adjacent. The advent of Kickstarter, for example, um, you know, broke down a lot of barriers for game designers and creators and, and any other creators around the world uh, of any other industry to allow them to bypass, you know, publishing and, and trying to find customers and that type of thing in a new and innovative way. But even when that came out, you know, they didn't have necessarily everything in place that creators needed. So then you have the advent of pledge managers, for example, that, that came out um, that help people after the campaign so they can have add-ons, they can put their shipping in there, 
um, they can extend the campaign basically and, and, you know, earn more money and find more fans and that type of thing. And then, you know, KickTrack who does like analytics and they do advertising and that type of thing. There's just, I just want to have people think about these types of things and look at all the opportunities out there. Cause as soon as one thing is introduced, there's other little gaps and other little niches that you can find. And maybe you have that skill or that experience that's needed from another industry that you can come in and say, hey, I can figure out how to do this in this industry as well and help a lot of other people and become part of the industry in that way. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunities for people to get in kind of the way I did, where you look at the industry and you say, okay, what doesn't exist that I wish did? What would be beneficial to me? What would be helpful to me? What are my skill sets? What are some things that I already know, the knowledge, whatever that I can kind of lend, that they kind of lend themselves into doing this? And where does all that intersect? And for me, it was creating this podcast and interviewing game designers and that kind of thing. Uh, what I was looking for didn't exist on the market. And so I was like, well, let me just create it. Not with the intention of starting a business or creating anything that would become my full-time job or an income or anything like that, just because I saw an opportunity and I wanted to see it filled. And I thought, well, if not me, then who? And so I started this podcast and it, you know, here we are four or five years later, and it's become much bigger than I ever anticipated. I know a lot of other content creators are in the same uh, situation, whether they started doing reviews or run-throughs or Kickstarter previews, whatever, uh, podcasts, blogs. So many people are in the same situation where they just were looking for something, couldn't find it and thought, I'll just do it myself. And so there's so many ways to get into the industry. If you just think think about it, be creative, ask other people, and then just kind of go from there. But Joe, this has been excellent, man. Any kind of closing thoughts? Like someone listening to this who's thinking about, okay, I would love to get into the industry. Maybe they're a little bit discouraged or maybe they're shy or maybe they're kind of struggling with how to do it. What would be your like final thoughts as far as like an encouragement to anyone listening and, and thinking about getting into the industry themselves? Yeah, I would say the, the opportunities are there. You just need to find where you're going to fit in best. So think about what experience you have, what skills you have, what makes you unique? What can you bring to the table that maybe nobody else can or not in the same way that you can in your own unique way? And find out where that gap might be in the industry. As well as that, you know, make connections, talk to people. Don't be afraid to just you know, talk to publishers, talk to other creators. It's, it's such a friendly, welcoming community that, you know, you can go and talk to just about anybody. You can, you know, email Jamie Stegmeyer and you'll get an answer. For example, um, it's, it's amazing how you can just reach out to people and talk to them and, you know, ask their advice, uh, talk to them about, you know, what they see as gaps, um, offer, offer help. Um, if, if you really believe in a creator or a publisher, just reach out to them and say, you know, is there anything you need help with? Or, you know, I'm really good at good with words. Uh, can I, do you mind if I have a look at your rule book? Maybe I can, you know, give you some, some feedback and some advice on that, that kind of thing. Just figure out what you're really good at and start to network and start to talk to people. All, all it takes is getting a connection with one person and helping them out with something that can lead to many other great opportunities down the road. You don't have to talk to everybody out there. Uh, it's just sometimes a matter of, you know, reaching out and, and being willing to help just one other person. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Joe, tell me a little bit more about the book. Give me like the two minute elevator pitch and tell people where they can buy it. Sure. Uh, so the board game designers guide to careers in the industry is my latest book. And it's talking about all the stuff that we talked about here, but in even more detail, talking about all these different stories of people, everybody from publishers to reviewers, to content creators, how they got into the industry, how they got started and their advice to others who are looking to get into the industry. 
the intention with the book is really for somebody who's interested in working in the industry but doesn't know how to get how to get in or how they would fit in to look at all these opportunities and figure out where their own skills and experience would fit in and they can fill a gap. Uh, so the book is going to be available on my website on boardgamedesigncourse.com and it will also be available on Amazon in the future. Awesome. Well, Joe, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the book and everything else you got going on right now. Thanks so much for having me on, Gabe. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting? <laughs>